0: Hi, I'm Driti Shah, and this is my podcast, Have You Thought About? I'm a writer, a journalist, a poet, and I love to find out about what interests people are pursuing, especially if they're managing to mash them up in lots of unusual ways. And in each edition, I'm going to chat with someone I find particularly interesting and who's been able to fit together things in their life or profession or both that you don't necessarily think of as an obvious match. You're about to hear me chatting with Sheetal Palmer, a journalist... A cat whisperer and a big fan of the Terminator. I started by asking her to explain more about why integrity drives her. She thought we met thanks to a cultural leaders course called Claw a few years ago and one thing that stood out for me was you have a lot of integrity And I really would love to know more about how that actually drives you.
1: I've been thinking about integrity a lot over the last, I would say, maybe about three or four years. You know, nobody wakes up and thinks I have integrity. But what you do is you try and lead your life in a way that you think treats other people well, but also you treat yourself well. And that has been much more prevalent in my life over the last three or four years, I have to say, you know where you get these mind moments or you get these episodes in your life where you think, why is this happening to me? How am I going to deal with this? And rather than questioning the what, it's almost like, okay, why and how and what then does it lead to, right? And I found over the years that instead of trying to analyze other people's behaviors or to analyze my own behavior, actually, what I needed to do was cross that bridge and get to the point where I felt like, hold on a minute, did I use my integrity? Did I show my integrity? Did I utilize my integrity? And why, honestly, I can say that it's one of the most important things in my life, because if I don't have that, I don't think I'm whole as a person sounds so profound. (laughs) But I think integrity is one of those things that you can go to bed at night and say to yourself, do you know what, I dealt with that situation, be it your cat, be it your husband, be it the neighbour, be it the shop assistant with integrity. And that allows me to sleep at night, even for a few hours.
0: (laughs) Always up for sleeping tips. I'll be honest with you, anything that helps you sleep at night, I don't think isn't necessarily a bad thing. But How long did it take you to get to this point, I guess, of deconstruction, but also being able to be comfortable, uncomfortable with what integrity is?
1: I was always about questioning why I behaved a certain way and why people around me weren't behaving in a certain way. And I think that over-analysis, let's call it that, to be kind to the other people, because I think you can get stuck in this quagmire of you know, this person's behaving this way towards me, I don't want to know them. I think it's important that you do analyse or that you look at your own behaviour and think, what is it about this person, this other person that is making them behave this way? And often what I've found now, when I think back to episodes in my, let's say, work life, where I've not really gelled or I thought I did with my team or certain members of my team, but I haven't gelled with them. I put that down to my integrity and the fact that I think I have loyalty to people, a cause, a way of life, what the truth is. And that tends to be my overriding impression of what integrity is. So with age, with kind of certainly since I've been in my sort of mid-30s, I've been much more comfortable with saying to myself, this is where my integrity is at and I can't compromise that for somebody else's whim. Therefore, in the last, yeah, let's say around five years, I've made decisions in my life that have solely been about where's my integrity at.
0: On that note, it sounds beautiful, it sounds positive, and it definitely sounds like a have you thought about, but surely you've come across situations that are conflict, which aren't always easy to work through
1: so it's not been an easy road Druti. It's it's not been oh you know let's wake up hey I have integrity everything's going to be great and it's all a bed of roses it's actually recognizing that integrity can pull you in lots of different ways and I have been pulled in lots of different ways and I've had to make some very very tough decisions about my life about who I am about you know, what I do about what I stand for. So for example, one of the big things, lots of reasons why this certain incident, I call it an incident, but it's actually a major element of my life. And that is, you know, me deciding to leave my job, which I had thought about for many years, but I don't think I ever had the guts to do it. And it was only when I had, I suppose, a moment of realisation, but also this trigger There were lots of triggers, let's put it that way. There were lots and lots of triggers leading up to this point. Me being stuck at home with COVID (laughs) didn't help. But it also helped, actually, because it helped me to figure out what was important. It helped me to figure out that I didn't need my job to be me. And I think that for a lot of us who work for a big organization, who end up doing the job that we've always, always dreamed of doing since we were kids, you can get lost in the feeling that this is what you've always wanted in your life and this is what it's going to be. You know, there was integrity at the heart of that. There was integrity at the heart of me joining, for example, my former employer, there was integrity at the heart of everything that I did in that place. But I felt as if I didn't get any integrity back from the organisation. And so that was one of the big drivers of me in terms of wanting to feel valued and really taking a huge risk with a cost of living crisis approaching in leaving my job and saying, you know what, I want more and I want different Yeah, if I'm honest with myself, and let's say we're talking about integrity, so you have to be honest with yourself. It's not been an easy road. There have been times when I've woken up and thought, what the hell am I gonna do with my life? Who the hell am I? Have I made the right decision? And I have to say that last question is the one that I'm always able to answer a lot quicker than the others. Because it's almost instant to me that I have made the right decision, but that this is a tough period. This is the sort of thing that many, many people don't have the opportunity to explore. The who am I going to be? What is my life going to be? So there is a certain amount of privilege there, but it doesn't feel like privilege when you're thinking, oh, my God, I've had no money come in this month and you're using up your savings. So it has been tough. Yes, I'm not going to lie. You know, uh, you've got to be prepared for it. And I think I was, you know, I allowed myself a certain number of, months to feel prepared, to feel like, okay, it's not going to be easy. The things that I'm going to have to do without this cloak of, I'm a journalist working for this organization, because it is a bit of a cloak and we all wear it when we're working for it, because we all believe in it. And when you haven't got it anymore, not only is it liberating, it's also incredibly frightening. It's a bit like Harry Potter relying on his powers without his wand or without his you know invisibility cloak or whatever it's all these things that that kind of make you a person and all you're left with is your integrity right I think those are all valid
0: points and as you say we both worked at a big organization a big broadcaster we've now moved on trying out different paths and a lot of the questions that you're raising are definitely questions that I'm thinking about on a regular basis and talking to others it feels like we're very much at a reckoning but Finding that path yeah. is not necessarily easy. So thank you for that. One thing I do want to sort of turn to as I think that's a lot to ponder on on in integrity and, and really important. And I hope the audience likes it as well. The other thing that I really like about you, and I actually want to learn in terms of what have you learned from the behavior of others? Because you spend a lot of time with two cats and yeah. I'd love to know what is it that they teach you? So you're a bit of a cat whisperer, let's say that. <laughs> what have you learned about them that has helped drive your own behavior, perhaps?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. No one's ever called me a cat whisperer. And do you know what? I really like it. (laughs) It, Often when I talk about my cats, it's almost like it's, you know, people, people are not insulting me, but there is this thing of, you know, oh, you live with two cats. That must mean that you're a bit of a cat lady. And cat lady's always had this like really negative connotation attached to it. I suppose I was reluctant to let people in to my sort of cat behavior journey, but I've always been a glutton for stray animals ever since I can remember. I remember where I used to live as a child growing up, which was, you know, not a very well-to-do, it was like an estate in East London. And a lot of us kids, all age groups, used to hang out together, the estate kids, and all, all different backgrounds. I remember this family who lived just outside of the estate, and they had a beautiful dog called Casey. And I remember whenever we used to get together in the holidays and they used to come over to our estate and just hang out because there was a little park thing there. And they used to bring Casey with them. Casey was a beautiful dog, a family pet. And Casey got ill. Casey developed, I think now what it was, was cancer. Or certainly she had very, very visible tumours on her head. And they abandoned her, most likely because of the cost of treatment now when i think about it i was probably about seven at the time so i don't really know the ins and outs and it wasn't the sort of thing where i would say you need to do something about your dog like you know and and we weren't in a position to take on a dog i mean we're an asian family asian families at the time didn't have pets, although i always used to sneak in a cat from somewhere so casey because she knew us and she knew where friendly people lived She'd been abandoned. She used to scratch at our front door, and like I used to be quite ill as a kid, so I was home a lot from school, and I just remember like I used to open the door to her, even though I wasn't allowed to open the door, but I knew it was Casey, and I used to feed her. It was like we didn't have dog food. We I used literally used to feed her like crackers and biscuits and things, and and give her water and so. And I just, you know what? Even now, I think about Casey. And it really upsets me that a former family pet who was loved, literally loved and cherished, was then abandoned by the same people who loved and cherished her. For me, pets and animals complete a home. And for a long time, I didn't have a cat. But again, I, you know, I always befriended stray cats no, I can tell a stray cat they look dirty <laughs> you know they usually they're the desperation for food or for human contact it's really interesting how they crave it but they fear it at the same time because most pets I mean I've even had a feral cat who took up home outside my parents front door and it's really interesting because I just used to sit next to this feral cat and this feral cat, absolutely feral, born on the the fields opposite my parents' house. And the feral cat was amazing with me. Maybe it's just like, it can just sense that I'm not gonna hurt it, but it attacked my parents every time they came home from somewhere. (laughs) So they didn't let me keep that cat. But why cats? I always loved cats. I think cats were always more the size of them, right? So they're much more manageable. I remember having a book and there was like these stories about kittens and just these photographs in them and, you know, what they would get stuck up ladders and they couldn't get down. And I just remembered like they were just gorgeous and beautiful and that whole thing of, you know, oh, kittens so cute. But cats are just as cute and they're really intelligent. They... not aloof like that whole thing about you know dogs are amazing and just love you to bits but cats you know couldn't really be bothered since lockdown really it's amazing how my cats have really thrived with my company and they are literally with me 24 7. obviously i'm not working at the moment so if i'm out for a few hours for the day i know that they're going to sleep with me that night (laughs) because they've missed me you know they haven't seen me for four or five hours during the day they are incredibly intelligent they give a lot of love they're independent enough that they don't crowd you and they really really do respond to how you are as a person so you know i've been through some ups and downs and it's amazing for example one of my cats is he does he's not a lap cat doesn't like sitting on laps or anything, he's, but he will sleep next to me to the point where he will literally spoon me at night. But it's just really interesting that when I've had, say, you know, the death of my brother, for example, just before COVID lockdown, and prior to that, another point where there was a very close death, it's the only time he's done this, and he would sit on my chest. He's only ever done that twice. And that's his way of saying, I know you're going through something, and I'm gonna look after you. It sounds so strange, but it's almost like he senses this. She's not all right at the moment. And there are other times. He's only ever done that with two deaths. It's amazing. But there are other times when I'm really, really upset about something and he will just come and sit next to me somewhere you know he'll be somewhere right next to me the other one is a complete lap cat and this is you know he's he's the famous one called sadness because he was a stray and just looked really sad Um, and so the name sort of stuck but he is an incredibly happy cat you know I've kind of taught him how to play I've
0: how how can you teach a cat to play don't they have it inherently like what what have done? They
1: do, but when they're strays, they lose that ability because they face so much danger. They don't have a home. They don't have somewhere that they can run to for safety. The The idea that they're not going to necessarily be fed unless they get manage to get in somewhere and steal food from somewhere. All of those things make them really frightened of life, especially if they've been in a home previously. For a pet cat that then becomes a stray, it's a nightmare for them on the streets or in the gardens. Often they're being attacked by the cats, unmuted cats, all that kind of thing. It took me about two years to trap him to the point where I could get him to a vet and get him muted, check for a chip and all of that. But he wouldn't let me touch him. That was the thing. And, and I, it literally took months, months seriously for, for me to be able to feed him. And every day I would just move the, the plate maybe two or three centimeters closer to the back door like I'd put my hand on the plate so that he could smell my hand while he was eating initially he was absolutely petrified of me putting my hand anywhere near him it took months for me to actually stroke him and then eventually you know he would come in and would spend like 10 minutes inside that kind of thing and i would like let him show show my other cat this play, show him my other cat who was playing with a piece of string he would watch that. He would want to play with it, but he was petrified of playing. But then eventually it everything was slowly, slowly.
0: But it feels yeah. like there's a lot of lessons for humans as well, in terms of that dedication yeah. to play. A lot of us actually forget how to play. And we've had yeah. such a tough couple of years that yeah. actually it's making me think, Maybe I need to you know, I am a dog person, but maybe I need to follow the the path of Sheetal and, and the cat. I mean <laughs> I mean that could be a whole children's book, but
1: That element of play is really interesting. Cats do, they do like playing. They really do like playing. It's just about finding things that they want to play with. They are, that's what I mean, they are so intelligent. You can make them do things, you know, like I've trained both of mine to sit. So if I say sit, they sit. And you do it like with dogs. Same, you know, you use the same thing, treat. Both of my cats are rescue cats, so they've come to me as strays without homes not microchipped unneutered, living on the streets they were previous pets you know that because one of them absolutely knew how to use a litter tray and you know craves human company and the other one is a complete lap cat and that can only happen trust me if they've sat in laps while they were kittens the, the thing is even even for cats who are two three four years old, if they've got love, if they've got security if they've got food, they will dance to your tune to a certain degree, (laughs) maybe not completely fully, but they also, you know what, they're grateful. They're grateful to have a home again. And I think therefore their behavior adapts to your home life, you know, the home life that has been set by the human. So yeah, I'm aware that all of this makes me sound like cat lady. Most experts in sort of feline behavior will also say there just isn't enough research in cats unfortunately, because people have always been much more interested in the, the sort of reward you get from training a dog when the cats were, because of this attitude, right? This attitude of, oh, cats will just fend for themselves or whatever. Actually, no, they won't. Their behavior is completely different when they're humans not around.
0: So saying that, it just actually reminded me, like not so long ago in the news and, you know perhaps we're as less absorbed with the news as we used to be in our yeah. previous careers but in the news there yeah. was a note about coronavirus and the pandemic the government potential reaction to the pandemic in the early yeah. days and there was a conversation about potentially catculling came out in yeah. some leaked whatsapps having heard yeah. that what i mean i thought that was pretty high hardcore re- extreme as I'm a
1: cool.
0: yeah as yeah. i thought but yeah. for you and- having knowing all this that you already knew and for me is new knowledge around cats what is your reaction if, to something
1: if, like that I read those whatsapps and I just thought my goodness it, it was a moment of realization that hold on a minute what if this had happened and I you know there would have been a major major outcry I mean it would have just people would have been up in arms you know that there was that potential could have been that potential that because of this pandemic and how it was affecting humans and the impact on around the world billions of us that they would have to kill cats i mean for me and for millions of other pet owners your your cat is yes it's an animal but it's also an extension of your family
0: i want to know how the film terminator makes sheetal (laughs) sheetal
1: my favorite film probably, of all time. And it's the first one. It's The Terminator from, what is it, 1984, the original Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael B, Linda Hamilton. I saw that film, I know it's an 18, but I saw it, I think I was about seven or eight. My brother used to work in a video shop and he brought home a copy once and uh, all my siblings were older than me. So I used to I had, you know, a much more eclectic taste in music and films because, you know, siblings influence you, right? And I remember watching Terminator and just being completely blown away by the idea of this. It's the first time I'd heard the word cyborg as well, right? Seven or eight years old, I didn't know what a cyborg was, and and I just remember being equally petrified, fascinated, blown away. And fear, it I think it injected in me that actually, you know what? Oh my God, this could happen. What if this could happen? And now a lot of a lot of the time I'll watch something scary, probably because of that, or probably because of Jaws as well, because I watched Jaws at a very young age and I was really, really I remember watching Jaws with the whole family being quite young, younger than seven. And just being absolutely petrified of going to the loo that night because I was so scared that Jaws was going to, you know, jump up through the loo. <laughs> but
0: although but Jaws I is think... misinformation, just to make everyone clear, Jaws is misinformation. Yeah, it's just absolutely. pure fiction.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love sharks, and probably on an equal level with Terminator. And I've actually swum with sharks because I love them so much. So, and no cage, no cage. Wow. <laughs> so you know, there's. I think I think that that element of danger although sharks are real danger and terminator is obviously not real danger but it's that thing of you know what how would i be in this situation what if i was sarah connor how would i get out what would i do would i be as brave as her you know how would i react and this is why i love the first one so much because i think her fear and her kind of incredulousness that what the hell is this thing that's trying to kill me surely none of this is true and it's that bit in that film towards the end where she thinks he's completely burnt to a cinder after the truck you know is blown 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 apart and and then you see this you know the metal skeleton just rising from the ashes and her the way she screams no no like Going on even more, um, it was just that that thing of I just think that film for a low budget film, you know, from the mid eighties, which still t- stands the test of time now. And I argue about this with my husband all the time that actually, yeah, he does look different. The reason why he looks different is because his eyebrows were blown up, burn, burn off and things like that, you know, which only a super fan would do. But it's I think it's instilled in me that there's always this element of danger. And that's okay to have that in your life because it pushes you to a point where you would then put yourself in a situation that is risky, that is going to test you, that is going to push you to your abilities of survival. Kind of, I don't want to say retribution, but I mean, you know, being able to equate in your mind what you're capable of, but you're not going to be pushed until. You face that element of risk and danger, right? And and I think as journalists, we've kind of encompassed that within our roles. I know I always loved being in dangerous situations through my job because you're semi-protected, <laughs> but you're also challenging yourself to say, I can deal with this, you know? And yeah, so that all comes from the Terminator. How weird. Oh, such a tangent, but... Oh. I just think, you know what, we, sometimes we can look at cultural influences and not see them for what they can do for your life. And, and I, I think that's what Terminator's done for me, yeah.
0: <laughs> the wonderful Sheetal Palmer, who brings together integrity, cat whispering, and the Terminator. Do you have an interdisciplinary life? Because I would love to hear from you. Perhaps we can chat on this podcast that goes with my newsletter, which is called Have You Thought About? and can be found via www.drutishar.com. Please join me next time, I will be back, for a great conversation with another guest who likes to mix things up in their life. Thank you to Rian Shah for the music for this podcast.